Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is overcoming last mile hurdles with my friend Luke Denny. Luke is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Freight, a last mile on-demand delivery and logistics technology platform. And they solve all these last mile hurdles. And guys, there are still plenty of last mile hurdles. Any retailer or e-commerce company, and by the way, there's not just those kind of companies, building materials, tire companies, all sorts of companies are starting to deliver not only to homes, but also to other businesses. And so that last mile or final mile is more important than ever, but it's also very difficult. We're dealing with a fragmented gig economy, and you need companies like Freight to step in and clear the way. And that's exactly what Luke and his team are doing. So check out my interview with Luke. He's a great guy. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about the TMSA conference that's coming up in Savannah, Georgia, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And TMSA is Transportation Marketing and Sales Association. And they're having a conference called Elevate. It's down in Savannah, June 11th, 12th, and 13th. And it's all about learning, networking, getting inspired, having a good time, meeting the very top marketers in our space. And all the people who know how to grow your sales, they are at this conference. So it's a great event if you're trying to grow your sales and who isn't trying to grow their sales. So tmsatoday.org is the website. I will put a link to it in the show notes. I hope to see you down there. I will definitely be down there. So how's it going, Luke, Denny? Hey, it's going great. Joe, thanks for having me on. I'm very excited. You have some big news, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, Luke, please introduce yourself and your company where you're calling from today. Happy to. So Luke, Denny, I'm one of the I was the last co-founder of Freight Technologies, based here in the grand city of Cincinnati, Ohio, where I've been for the past 23 years. Prior to that, I was a native and grew up in the northwestern side of Los Angeles, which wow. is great to visit, but I'm a Midwesterner now at heart, Joe. <laughs> so you spell freight how? <laughs> we, we That's one of our weaknesses. We're terrible at spelling, <laughs> but... Uh, Freight is F-R-A-Y-T, freight. F-R-A-Y-T. Yep. yep, but it's once you see it written down, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I get what they're doing there. <laughs> so what does freight with a Y do? <laughs> yeah, so we are a last mile marketplace model, a platform where we connect business shippers. So commercial shippers shipping either B2B or B to B to C. So these could be retailers, industrial suppliers, construction crews, manufacturers, all looking to get on-demand, same-day type deliveries done quickly but reliably through a network. Excellent. Well, we'll come back to this. So again, today's title is Overcoming the Last Mile Hurdles with my friend Luke Denny. One of the things that we talked about before we hit record is how quickly this space has just exploded. And I've said this before on my podcast. I never said middle mile until a few years ago. So when I started this podcast five years ago, no one said middle mile. No one said first mile. 
And the reason we didn't say that is because no one was saying last mile. As soon as people started saying we do the last mile, people were like, well, we don't do the last mile. We do the middle mile. So it's, it's, it almost seems like we all quickly grabbed a, a, a lane <laughs> and said, this is where we're going to go. And last mile is still very new. We're, and we'll talk about some of those hurdles. And um, I think part of your news this week is this industry growing up. So well, we'll get to that in a minute. But Luke, please first tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Some career highlights before you started Freight. Yeah, no, happy to. So like I said, I, I, I'm a native of, of Southern California. I moved here with my family in 2000. So grew up as a Cincinnati kid, became a Midwesterner at do, heart. Do you remember LA? Oh, I do. No, absolutely. So uh, how old were you? Traffic on the 101. And uh, I left at 13. So 13. I hadn't started driving yet, so I don't really have the bearings of the road. So would mom and dad get new jobs over here? Yep. And this is kind of the the fun part of my background is I came back to logistics full circle. My dad actually was transferred via DHL. Oh, um, wow. And they were it's based in the blood. In, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And actually, my his dad, my grandfather, owned a courier company. So it just came back in the end couldn't escape it <laughs> <laughs> so you so you grew up mostly in LA before you were a teenager but then um where'd you go to college what'd you study typically like the uh, hopefully maybe I'm maybe I'm oddball but I changed I changed focuses about three times I went from mechanical engineering to uh, computer networking and then ended up as a business finance major from there actually became a CPA in the end. Yeah, I I did that same thing. I was working in automotive engineering and I I was I had a great job and uh I got my undergrad in business just because it was the fastest thing to get a degree at that time. Yep. And I was yep. like, I'll just continue with my engineering degree separately. And then I was like midway through, I was like, you know, I'm not gonna be an engineer. I'm doing the job already and I'm not and I remember I just switched. So I got my master's in education and I always remember my one boss said, How's that engineering degree going? Keep in mind I was working as an engineering program manager at the time. <laughs> it's like I'm actually getting a master's in education rather than it is like you are an engineer, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> not right. for long. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, and it was it was like it was numbers. But in a different focus, right? Going from numbers and engineering to numbers and accounting and finance, it was just a different focus that I tended to enjoy. So many, so many kids. It seems like you know when you're when you're 15 years old. I guess I want to be an engineer. I want to be a lawyer. You want to be a doctor. You don't know what you want. Yeah, <laughs> you don't even know what you're true. good at either. So, what'd you do when you, when you got out of school? So I had the pleasure of joining a software company early on. In fact, while I was still in school, I went to school at night and worked full time. Yeah, it's it's something that I think it (laughs) it does suck. But I tell you, you learn so much, you know, through it all. When you go to night when you go to night school, and I did that for 19 years for my undergrad and okay. my masters, you go to school with adults. So your your classes are and, and when the teacher says this is the way it's done in the business world, and then you have a whole bunch of people say, No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It, that's true. And on top of that, you do get some teachers that are adjuncts to yeah, where mostly it's they're seems. doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
they're they're working a day job and teaching at night. Chris Kaplis, who was just on my podcast, he is the, one of the chief scientists over at DAT, and he is also a professor at MIT. And he said the same thing. He goes, the, the night school is different because the average age is much older. Everyone's working. It's it's a it's a different than all the uh, Ivy League, right? <laughs> it is. It really is. The thing, though, too, is I I don't know about your experience, but I couldn't find any time to do homework. So I would actually, there was a stint where I would get up at 3 a.m. to try and get some homework done before starting work at 8. You just got to do what you got to do. I would, it, be, it I would be sneaking it in at work all the time. like And and then I all my buddies went to Michigan State. So I would go up there and party on the weekends when I was supposed to be doing homework. It was like, that never worked. <laughs> it's way too okay. so damn long. Anyway, you were working in a software company. Then what? Yep. So... Worked there for eight years, had the pleasure of watching and observing and learning as they grew from a $5 million company to a $30 million company. Wow. And really just got to see what they did well, what they didn't do well, watch the CEO. But I just, to grow with the company, you had to be a mechanical engineer. And that was just not what I was going to do. So I, I switched to the CPA world, worked with CPA firms for about six years. Ended up leaving to launch my own firm and at the same time got tapped by one of the founders of Freight to see if I'd be interested in coming and joining as their finance guy. They needed funding. They needed to sort out their books. And I, I when I heard the model, when I heard the opportunity and really digested it, I was an absolute believer and just dove full in. And what year was that? When was that? That would be... January 1st of 2019. So it was just right at the beginning of the year. So was that before the pandemic? It was. It was about one year beforehand. So you so you have some co so so co- how many co-founders do you have? We started out with four and we're now down to two. So Josh McCord and myself are the last remaining ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it worked out. So anyway, this week you had some big news. Share your big news with us, please. Yeah, I appreciate it. We just announced we closed our Series A round. It was a grind to get it all the way closed, but we are so blessed to have such a great group of investors making up the round. I mean, our lead investor, Refinery Ventures, is based actually here in Cincinnati, great Midwestern-focused venture firm. And then we also, we ended... With Pat Martin and the all the guys and gals over at Venture 53 made up the round. So we're really excited to have them. So most of the people listening to my podcast are logistics, supply chain, transportation, warehousing guys. We're not all CPAs like you. <laughs> what is a Series A and how does that work? Yeah, so the Series A is a kind of the infant stages of venture capital growth led companies to where you know the stakes are higher in what they're expecting from a growth rate but you have at least the added resources that they provide not only from new capital that they put in but also their connections and their wealth of knowledge and their mentoring it's just you have to be ready for a faster pace and we believe there's still a lot of market share out there to capture. And we're also working on releasing a new product that we can 
But it just it was made sense for the timing for so us. So when you do that, you're in effect selling a part of your company to these venture capitalists who expect now that, that now they're one of the now they're some of the owners. And so you have to really align with they have to align to what your vision is. And I'm assuming at some point the vision is a shared vision, right? So they have expectations for that money and you have expectations for your new partners, right? That's well said. Yes. And I, as you, as you probably have watched and seen, the VC world kind of got flipped upside down last year. And when you, when you mention the alignment, one of the things that we were able to do early on was not actually raise a large amount of funds, but we learned to be really capital efficient with the resources that we had. And so when the VC world started to switch from a hyper growth focus to a more sustainable growth focus, we became a little more attractive. And that coupled with the fact that we were trying to pioneer a new product really, really gained us ground in closing this round with our investors. And, you know, of course, not mentioning names. And I I admire all the people who can go and go that route because most, most companies are bootstrapped and including mine, right? So I don't I don't have a boss, but I also don't have to be judged by somebody who says this is a good business model or a bad business model. Nobody calls my baby ugly. Right? <laughs> That's right. Over the last few years, we saw a lot of companies raise a lot of money. And the expectation is when we're raising that money is that this thing is a rocket ship. We're all jumping on. But what sometimes happens, and again, no no hate here, no criticism. Sometimes you aren't growing to at the speed that you're supposed to. So then when the next round of money, if you do need it, comes in, right. they say, well, according to the last people who invested $5 million, this is a $200 million company, but we don't see it that way. We'll, we see this as a $100 million company, so we're not going to give you the same. So we call those down rounds, and we're seeing a lot of down rounds. And, and again, I, I think I saw Mark Cuban talking about this on a Shark Tank one time, and he said, "He said, you know, I've I've invested in companies that I they were very very stable, good guys." And he goes, "As soon as they got that money, all of a sudden they're, they're all over the world. They're traveling. They're going." He goes, "All of a sudden, I'm like, where's my money going?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting too because you have to have such a balance. Because to your point, we have to build value. And, you know, we want to build value as efficiently as we can. But what we cannot do, and it's where we have to really push for balance, is build a house of cards. You can't build a house of cards because otherwise, like you're saying, when you get to those deeper rounds, you know, and things are exposed, the value's not there. And the house of cards can't stand downturns in the market and downturns in the economy. So it's a balance game. Right. And I've talked to a lot of people who've raised a, a lot of money over the last few years. And again, this is if there's a big opportunity and you want to take advantage of it, I know you guys do, you, you sometimes need to take that money because if you were to bootstrap this all the way, last mile's growing. And we're going to talk about this. There's a little bit over capacity. We'll get into that. But there's a little bit of an arms race, right? There's going to be winners and losers in last mile. I don't know how many companies are in it right now, but it'll look very different in five, 10 years. So there's reason to take that money. It's not just, uh, hey, we just like the idea of growing fast. We Companies like yours believe 
we need to grow fast to take full advantage of this opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 we'll like you said in five ten years we'll see where things shake out because the market's so big. I mean, tr- historically, you know, well, it's been a fragmented market, and it's still going to be a fragmented market, but it is going to change, and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. So let's switch gears. Today's topic is overcoming the last mile hurdles. So on my podcast, I talk to people like you, who are, you know are a lot of times tech companies. And we talk about this grand new world, you know, visibility and AI, and it just sounds magical, like these wonderful interfaces, the Amazon-like experience. But talk to your friends, go to conferences. By the way, I met you at Manifest, and I remember I was on a panel at Manifest and with some top companies, Real Best Buy was one of them, Alta. Oh, yeah. And when you hear what, how, what their experience with shipping, you go, Oh, it's not all bright and shiny all the time. I thought it was I thought it was always just like, hey, I just press the buttons and boy, it all hits, but there's a real world out there that is not as pretty as our PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> it is, yeah, last mile is a big hairy mess. You you pegged it. And you know, user experience is just so predominant in what you're trying to solve. Because I, I don't know if you'd agree, but the reason why I, I just default to Amazon every time is the experience I get on there. And, you know, as retailers are trying to offer that same experience and they have to utilize third parties and partners that are so critical and vital to finishing that experience... It's it's a tough game. It's a tough challenge. Yeah. I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Port X Logistics. Port X Logistics is an asset-based transportation company, and they specialize in drayage and expediting containerized cargo. They provide service to every single port and every single rail ramp in the U.S. and Canada. Their four pillars are culture, service, tech, and trucks. Most strange companies aren't big on tech. These guys are really big on tech. So this four pillars, culture, service, tech, and trucks, it it guides every single thing they do. I recently interviewed Brian Kempesty, the founder and CEO over at Portex. Very impressive guy. And he was recently named by Ernst & Young as a finalist for Entrepreneur of the Year. These guys really know what they're doing when it comes to drayage and getting that expedited containerized cargo out of the port. Check them out at portxlogistics.com. So I am just finishing the book called Arriving Today. It was written by Christopher Mims, and he's the technology writer at Wall Street Journal. So he was supposed to be on my podcast the other day. We had to reschedule. But um, I look forward to talking to him about this book. And he talks a lot about Arriving Today, obviously, the name of the title, but talks about Amazon Fulfillment Center's the good and the bad. And by the way, everybody wants to take, you know, take a shot at Amazon. I won't do that. I won't take a shot at Amazon or Walmart <laughs> because these are the these are companies that have millions of employees and are doing what we expect them to do. It's not none of this work is easy. If you go and work in a warehouse, I don't care what warehouse it is, it's hard work. If you're driving a truck, if you're doing last mile, this is all hard work. And we are all trying to make this faster, better, cheaper. 
and at the same time not forget that there's a whole bunch of people who need to make a living and have to be treated with respect and you got to make those jobs so they're safe you got to make them so they're they're they pay decent so we could all criticize but we're not in amazon shoes and we're not in walmart shoes and um it's again that's where the that's where our our beautiful tech doesn't work when somebody has to get up early and drive around all day delivering stuff so you started to touch on it so we had we when we before we hit record we identified four areas that we thought were were um real hurdles still in the business so you'd mentioned we are not at that amazon experience yet in many cases so i i know of course freight freight customers are of course, that's the case. But <laughs> in the industry, talk about some of the challenges with that Amazon experience. Well, and, and really thinking about Amazon, I mean, for retailers to catch up, I mean, you can't replicate the Amazon blueprint. I mean, there's just no way with what they've built and where they are. So you have to come about it a different way. And that's the challenge today is there are very good brands that are working on solutions to compete and offer that same e-commerce retail experience to the customers, but they have to do it in a different way. They could, we can extrapolate various helpful things from the Amazon blueprint, but we can't replicate it. What they've done is, is what they've done. It's worked well for them. So partnerships has been so key. And with partnerships... One of the things we've recognized at Freight, and I know this is another topic we'll get into, but having a strong quality network of a gig network of drivers available on hand, willing and ready to do what the SLA says is just so Ooh, critical. What's an, what's an SLA? So the service level agreement, you know, if it's this delivery needs to be done in 90 minutes, two hours by the end of the day replicating and holding to that and having drivers, you know, motivated to also follow that, that is part of the key ingredients to replicating the user experience Amazon has. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I totally agree with you when you said you're not going to be able to replicate it. They spent, I would say, billions of dollars to get there. And, you know, Target's done a great job on that also. So if you look at Target, they pick up in store you can um there's a lot of different options i don't think all of them are going to pan out but we'll have new options and i think a, i think a, a large percentage of stuff you buy from target.com comes from a store now walmart's going to do the same thing out of their stores i i think when we see a brand new store opening it for like a walmart i think we're going to start seeing those look like a little different i think they're going to be their regular store, which they've done really well with, but I think it's going to have more room for fulfillment. And I think I think when I I think of Target, Walmart, Amazon, think about Bed Bath and Beyond. I think they filed bankruptcy this week, and you look and go, those that's a great store. I love that store. <laughs> I don't buy anything as yeah. much as I walk through that's it. Right. <laughs> that's the problem. Maybe <laughs> that's the problem. You walk Guilty. through it. Yes, but yes. they somehow lost in this thing. They they didn't have a strategy. And by the way, Amazon's opening stores. And I suspect part of the reason they're opening the stores is to sell their private label stuff. They have like 20 private label brands. But I think part of its returns 
And I wouldn't be surprised if some of it's related to Final Mile. So it's you can't just say, well, what Amazon's doing today is what we're, we're trying to accomplish. Amazon's a moving target. It really is. And, and actually, I, what I think I hear you're saying, and this is something that one of my co-founders brought, and I will need to go back and find out who this was. We were given a beautiful presentation about three and a half years ago on how over the next five years, which it's it's in full effect, Amazon is trying to become more like Walmart. And Walmart is trying to become more like Amazon. And you just nailed it with how you described it right now. Amazon's with the brick and mortar and all the DCs they've been building and fulfillment centers and now stores. And Walmart is pushing hard on their e-commerce and fulfillment experience. So it's it's fascinating yeah. to watch them. And I've, I've said this before on my podcast. I bought a bed like, I don't know, a year or so ago. And one of my daughters was buying a bed. And I remember she said, oh, yeah, I bought Purple, maybe, some brand. And she said, yeah, it comes in a box and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, she said, you should do that. And I was like, I live walking distance the three mattress stores and i was like which by the way if you ever google that there's a conspiracy theory why there's so many damn mattress stores everywhere but anyway <laughs> i went to that mattress store and i was laying on it and i told the guy i said my daughter bought her mattress online and he goes yeah that works he goes let me guess she's about half your size i was like yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so, but I don't understand why people would buy that stuff online. But we're seeing those digital native e-commerce companies, the companies that started online, opening stores. Warby Parker's opening stores. So, it's it, we're getting a little off track here. But the Amazon experience is is a moving target, and we're seeing a lot of people try a lot of different approaches. But we know. What it ultimately comes down to is customer delight. You know, is that customer yes. who bought something yes. absolutely delighted? And by the way, I, I learned this many years ago. Delighted doesn't mean giving them what they want. It means giving them something beyond what they thought they could have. And Amazon's Amazon's done that for us. They have. Yep. And, and to your point with the in-store experience, for me, I can buy anything online and I'll see if I like it or not. For my wife, she has to feel it, see it, hold. Like it's just there's an aspect you cannot solve fully in e-commerce. Right. So oh, I was talking when I was on a panel at Manifest with the guy from Best Buy. And I told him all my all my tech is from Best Buy because I want to pick up the <laughs> laptop. When somebody says, yeah. oh, it's two pounds. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know what two pounds feels like in my hand. <laughs> right. I walk right. around with my laptop yeah. in my hand a lot. And yeah. I go to Best Buy. Usually it's in stock, but if it's not, they're like, you can pick it up in two days or we'll ship it to your house in two days. Easy. I don't. It's always that way for me. And usually if I, I live in a smaller area, a smaller population, usually they say, if you want it that bad, you can drive 30 minutes into the city and get it. So there's going to be a lot of, but we're most companies are not quite there yet. And there was something um, you said before we hit record. We're not quite at that Amazon experience yet, but you said some of it's on the shippers. They've got a learning curve. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and and just uh, for the full answer, it is it's both sides, right? The delivery companies and platforms like Freight and good partners and competitors out there, we have to figure out how to provide what they need, which is that 
fast and reliable, cost-efficient shipping, you know, as best we can. And at the same time, on the retail side, just like Amazon provided, you know, their deliveries through the Prime membership, there's there's unit economics we have to figure out to where the consumer's part of the delivery cost. And I think Amazon did a beautiful way with their Prime membership where you don't really feel it. You know, there's you get two day for free or one day for free with no added cost. There's ways they disguise it. You know, and that's something you have to do. If you want quality drivers, you have to pay them well because that's what motivates them. That's where you get the best ones that show up. And so it's up to us to be the freights to be cost efficient so that we can pass most of that on to the driver from the shipper. And and I would say a lot of people getting into the gig economy, they don't know their costs. That's one of the challenges. So if somebody says, I, boy, I, if you give me $200 a day, I'm killing it. I don't care. I, if I make 200 bucks a day, you're like, well, hold up. How much are you spending on gas? It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm 200 bucks a day. And then you're like, you're going to yep. go through a gallon <laughs> tank of gas. And then how much is your car payment? How much is maintenance? So I think we have seen that flood of people come into the space and again, no shame, no hate here. They wanted to make it happen, didn't understand their costs. And again, you being a CPA, that's a that's a good background to have because it's expensive to keep vehicles on the road. It's expensive to have people on your staff if they aren't earning money. And that's what I think, you know, this overcapacity that we have in the space right now. I think a lot of it's going to go away because they weren't they weren't uh, first-rate operators, and that's probably more in a financial sense than in an operational sense. That's well said. And I think it's, you know, as freight is a two-sided platform, right, our customer is not just the shipper side, but the driver right. side too. You got to educate them. <laughs> you got you to gotta, you gotta be transparent. You got to be communicative, and you've got to create an environment that they want to work for, that they want to come back to. And you have to look at it in that light. They are our customer, these drivers. Right. So one other thing, I got to tell you this quick story. I know I'm going to lose you in 10 minutes. I got to hurry. But I think I had shipped deliver some groceries to my house. And the lady uh, who delivered them, very nice. And she brought me all this caffeine-free Diet Coke, which I don't drink. You see, I drink the real stuff. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad boy, man. I, I need my caffeine. You're a purist. Yeah, oh, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I go, oh, she goes, well, do you want me to return? I go, no, no, no. I'll just return it. I, so I went over to Meyer, which is Meyer's in the Midwest. It's like, uh, like, like Walmart. So I went to Meyer and I said, I'd like to ret- exchange these six packs of caffeine-free Diet Coke for the good stuff. And she said, okay, when'd you buy it? And I gave her my phone number. And by the way, I'd given my phone number to ship because they said, what is your Meyer number? Imperks, yeah. 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 And so she said, oh, I don't have a record of you buying anything yesterday. And it hit me. I'm not, I've been shopping at Meyer for 20 some years and I'm no longer their customer because I was using shipped. And somebody told me, and I don't know this, I've never talked to the ship guys, but they said ships sometimes deliver stuff from their own warehouses, some of some, some for the, their own fulfillment centers. And I was like, Ooh, that is not what Meyer wants. <laughs> right. They did not want, right. they did not want to become distant from me. They want me to have a yes. great experience, but they didn't want it to be with another company. <laughs> 
Yes. And that, to your point, that's where, you know, it's, it's incumbent upon freight and others in last mile to know our customer on both sides. You know, we know what the objectives are by retailers, by listening to them and hearing what they're trying to accomplish. But we also know what the objectives are by drivers. And as you said, as capacity will likely and is dwindling because of the lack of volume available in the market, you know, we have to understand what drivers are trying to accomplish. You know, are they aware of all the costs that go into doing this part-time, full-time? What is the, you know, livable rate that we need to try to make work? Being on top of fuel? I mean, they're all things that have been factors for years, but you know, I, I think it's it's not common to listen to the driver's side and provide for them. For example, one of the things we do with our freight platform for our drivers is we pay them fast, knowing that you know they don't get paychecks, they rely on these settlements to be available quickly. We pay them within 12 hours of completing so that, the delivery. that gets them money so they can put gas in their tank and work again tomorrow. Yep. I mean, it's that's just with gig work. You you need access to the cash in a different way than honestly. I think this. I think this way now. I'm not a banker. You're not a banker. But we carry money like we're bankers sometimes. And I always think we're going to get to a place where we say, um, "No, I'm not holding your. I'm not holding that debt. You 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 want the service? You pay me right now." And in some places, it gets really long. I was in an automotive where it was 50, 60 days, and you're spending a ton of money. Anyway, I know I'm going to lose you in a minute, so I'm going to I'm going to want to wrap this up and then, well, not wrap it up yet, but I want to talk about these four things that we talked about, and then I want to get what you guys are doing different and better. So during COVID, we saw this big run up in this space. Everybody rushed into the space, and thank God they did because we needed them. We've seen a little bit of a slump, a slowdown in on our last mile because of we're not in COVID anymore. We can get out and drive around. But it's a space that is definitely going to be here for the long term because we like it. But we're going to have, so we're seeing a little bit of the who's going to win and who's going to leave in this space. So that overcapacity is going to, we're going to figure that out. The reliability has to be there and it hasn't always been there because we did have so many new faces in the space and everyone was trying their best, but it's just not an easy space. We're not at that Amazon experience yet. And that's, that is kind of on both sides, you said, both the shippers and the last mile delivery companies. And then last but not least, is this is the learning curve for the shippers. They're going to have to figure out what they need to do to enable this last mile world to work like it. We all want it to. Absolutely. And it's, I don't know, to me, it's a fun puzzle to solve. I mean, if, if we can get to the point where, you know, Amazon's not as you know, on top of the user experience as they used to because everybody's caught up. I mean, that's just gonna that's just gonna help everybody. I mean, it's it's no slight to Amazon. What they've done as well is great. But the fact that you or I could have the same experience across all the brands we love that are not on Amazon, I look forward to that day. Right. Well, we've but there's one thing we've learned in the business world is no one gets to stay on top. I mean, it's just there's always there's always uh, somebody right behind you who's got a better better mousetrap. So 
what does your company do and how do you feel like it's doing it different and better than kind of the the mob out there that is in this space? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's part of, you know, the theme we've talked about through the podcast together is we do take our driver network very seriously. We try to take them as seriously as we do our good partners and our shippers because we know that it's it's a balance. You know, the shippers need quality. They need reliability on top of all the technology. And so that's something we really try to treat as a science and listen to these drivers and the data to see what we need to do. We also are striving to remain a technology company versus a transportation company. We try to think and act upon data and solve things with technology because that's that's just that's how you create capital efficiencies, profitability, you know, you can offer lower prices. You have to use technology in everything. So that's that's really what we strive to do here yep. at Freight. So what kind of what kind of stuff do you guys deliver for the last mile? It's we run the gauntlet. I mean, our we came into the space with our niche being on demand cargo and sprinter vans. In fact, the whole I didn't touch on this. I apologize. But the whole model was birthed from one of our founders needing carpet delivered to his house and going. then the retail shop telling him it was going to be next week. And he's sitting there going, I know there's a van <laughs> out there with an owner operator who could make, you know, a hundred bucks just going and getting this for me and bringing it here. And that's where we're like, well, how? So we started with Sprinter and, and cargo vans. Not not as much two-person teams, but the big and bulky stuff that could be loaded into a van and hand-unloaded by the driver. And vans are nimble and quick. You know, they can go out to job sites. They're not as regulated by the DOT because of the weight, you know, threshold. They have a lot of flexibility. And so from there, we branched out to all vehicle types. But so anywhere from consumer goods, industrial supplies and material, small equipment. So some of this is B2B. A lot of it is B2B. And yes. now, how about groceries? Do you do groceries for anybody? We do groceries, but more on the big and bulky side. So not as much as like an Instacart play, but maybe more like seasonality play or larger items where, uh, you know, whether it's a, a quick sedan picking up a couple 50-pound dogs of uh, bags of dog food or, you know, a whole order of seasonal type items, grills, patio furniture. That's where we are strong. So who's the sweet spot for freight? Freight with a Y, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> from a from an ideal customer yeah. profile? It's those that need to move big and bulky items that can be handled within vans and trucks fast and reliably. Because that's that's gold. When you can get flooring equipment, supplies, consumer goods that are hard to move, moved quickly, that's where we are strong and can help and add value. I love it. So who, as far as drivers, who's like that? What kind of drivers are you looking for? I should say driver partners, because again, I know you recognize those as your partners. We love drivers that are entrepreneurial in nature, drivers who want to build their own business. And that's not to say drivers who need just extra income on the side, but we love drivers that are trying to make this their business because they own it. It's a different quality and approach that they have. And we'll maybe in our next show together, we can talk about the new product that we're going to 
we're building right now to empower these drivers to do this even more so. I love it. And again, I, I say this all the time on my podcast, but it's the God's honest truth. We talk about the tech. We talk about you know things like service level agreements and KPIs and visibility. We all are standing on the shoulders of warehouse workers, dock workers, last mile delivery drivers, truck drivers, dock. I mean, port workers, and it's a challenge because we got to make that life better. Because by the way, I'm I'm one of the last of the baby boomers. My generation is where most of us are past reti- retirement age. The next generation behind us is much smaller. It's 400,000 people smaller. So that means when somebody says, hey, I guess I have a choice of jobs, are they going to choose to drive? Are they going to choose to go to a port? Are they going to choose to go to a warehouse? Unless we make it a great job, the answer is no. (laughs) That's right. Well said. Yes. So I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it. Who else should I interview on my podcast? Who do you recommend? I would throw out, and these guys, as a caveat, are even a semi-competitor of ours. All right. I would throw out Yosh Rosen of Part Runner. I, I'm impressed by what they're doing by expanding into Mexico right now pretty rapidly. Now, I'm assuming they, they do specialize in parts. What kind of parts are they? Yeah, they do. It's similar to us in that it's it's you know, parts for industrial suppliers and others, but... I love it. Yeah, it, I think he'd be he'd be fun to talk to and hear about what they're doing. I love that he's doing the cross-border. I, I think we, going forward, need to do better with, the, with... I hate the idea that there's a fulfillment center somewhere in Detroit area that can't deliver to Windsor or somebody in Washington who's not delivering to... Canada and Vancouver. It's silly that we can put DC's fulfillment centers and we can't do both countries. And same with Mexico. So I know I've gone way past my time already. So what conferences will we see you at? I will be at, let's see. So May, I'll, or no, sorry, June, I'll be at Home Delivery World in Philly. I'll be at F3 in Cleveland. Oh, that's close for you. How far is from Cleveland to Cincinnati? What is that? That's like four hours, give or take. Cleveland to Cincinnati's four hours? Yeah, three and a half, four, right in there. Yeah, well, how's a big place? <laughs> maybe I drive slow. Oh, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe I need to get a faster car. <laughs> so you'll be at Home Delivery World. You'll be at F3, which is in Cleveland. And where else? Uh, well, I see it manifest next year. I'm I'm planning on it. That was a that was a great show. Yeah, I enjoyed that was great. That very we much. I enjoyed networking and every a lot of people were there. That was there's a great show. over three thousand people there. I think I saw about three hundred. So there's it's like drinking from a fire hose there. But yeah, great great event. So what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. I'll put a, a link to your website and a link to anything else you give me. And Luke, congrats on the Series A and congrats on building a Thank great you. company. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know this is a busy week. <laughs> with- yeah, it is a lot of fanfare. Joe, thanks so much for having me. I, I've been a big fan of the oh, show thank you. and it's 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 uh, nice to actually be on. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. 
You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.